Hey everyone, welcome to the first edition of Sports with Friends in 2021. Happy New Year to those of you who are listening, and if you're listening in the future, Happy New Year for 2023. You can listen to this whenever you want. We appreciate it, we appreciate the ratings, the reviews, and 2020 was a pretty decent year for Sports with Friends, and we're kicking it off in a grand fashion. It's also the first week of the NFL playoffs, and we will talk to the head odds maker at Bavada Sportsbook, Patrick Morrow, about the latest lines so you can plan your football viewing and football betting accordingly. When the pandemic came about in 2020, uh, it was always going to be a topic that we were going to talk about. But then in mid-March, Rudy Gobert tested positive for COVID-19 and sports shut down. And one of the people who I, you know, have known for years, but we had her on the show, it was episode 240 of this podcast, was Jane McManus. And she came on the show, and we kind of just tried to understand the sports landscape. And we made a few predictions, some of which came true. And I thought as the first podcast to kind of cleanse the palate for 2021 and hopefully a, a very positive year, I wanted to welcome Jane back. Jane, of course, is the director of, of the Center of Sports Communication for Marist College. She's also a writer for Deadspin. She also has her own podcast called Ladies Room. She's going to tell us all about that. And she is kind enough to come back to the show for a second go around. Jane, welcome back. Happy New Year. Thanks. Happy New Year to you. Things have... Uh have not quite come full circle yet, but we, I think, are starting to see where the, where the circle is going anyway. Well, I remember there was this great amount of uncertainty and what you had stressed in the first one, and I kind of thought about it as things went on, was just make sure the decisions that are made are based on safety and that you were never going to say, you can't have sports. You just do it responsibly and do it you know, in a way that shows great regard for the threat that was COVID-19. Looking back, I thought it was a mixed bag. I thought some sports did that in spades. So other sports didn't. What was your overall take? I think, yeah, you and I are on the same page with that. Um, I think some sports handled it really well. Um, and, and other, like, for example, the NBA and the WNBA and the National Women's Soccer League they they started they they were all early back right when people were still kind of being i think cautious particularly Can we include the nhl in that because i thought the nhl did a, a phenomenal job also yeah 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 absolutely absolutely well the, those are the ones i think about are that you know i don't i don't follow no, no, the no, i just didn't want somebody listening going you forgot about hockey like you know it's true and i mean and there are you know there are certainly other sports that we could get to as well we could talk about tennis where sure some you know where because it's it's individual tournaments are the ones putting on the events as opposed to having it be just the WTA or the ATP. You also found a bag there, exhibitions versus professional events, that kind of thing. Um, but I think it, when, when the idea was safety first, I think you always found that people were at least trying hard. They were trying hard to do a responsible thing and to behave responsibly. To me, the thing is, yes, we're gonna have sports back because that just was the decision that was made there, you know, there's no point in, in arguing about it too much, I think at the professional level, but it's how you're going to do it and how you're going to protect the community from this enterprise. Just because by virtue of having sports back, even if you don't have fans in the stands, you are risking community spread. 
So how can you mitigate that? And I think a lot of um, sports actually try to think about that in a responsible way and, um, and, and managed it pretty well and managed it pretty well. And then I think, you know, the ones that didn't are, you know, unfortunately, I think, you know, college football, I think is emblematic of a sport that did not put player safety first, that put the economics first. And I think it was disastrous. Um, but I guess that would be the range for me. Well, let's, I want to, I want to tackle that obviously, because I heard you on another podcast and your criticisms of college football specifically were very detailed. And I just, that was the one sport I didn't want to see happen. Um, but I was for the NFL. So before we say what's wrong with, what was wrong with college football, were you pro NFL? Because the NFL over the summer seemed to have this arrogance that come hell or high water, we were starting. And to their credit, they didn't cancel a game. Now, I, I could argue the Denver Broncos got screwed and the New Orleans Saints weren't allowed to have running backs and those games should have been delayed. But all in all, they played, every, every team played 16 games and not a lot of teams opted out. What was your thought on the NFL versus college? And were you pro NFL or were you against football altogether? I, th I was not against football altogether. I, I don't, I think that the, for example, Dallas having fans in the stands like it did in an indoor stadium was incredibly irresponsible. Um, I think that the, the, that sticking to the schedule was not, shouldn't have been the goal. I think that the, what the NFL should have done is built in a way for there to be, you know, either two bye weeks or something like that. So that you didn't have a situation like you had in Denver where there, you know, where you have a, you know, backup kicker playing quarterback or whatever, you that know, was idiotic. They, they, they play the game on Tuesday. That would have been so easy. And you'd, you'd get so many ratings on it and you could have done the same thing with new Orleans on Sunday. Well, and, and, but they also, they had like a Wednesday afternoon game that was kind of ridiculous because they didn't want to play for the Rockefeller tree lighting and NBC had a, a commitment for that. I just think that the idea of, well, we've got to stick with the schedule in some ways, I think the inflexibility of the NFL uh, made the season worse made the games worse, you know, uh, didn't allow for players to be at their best. And part of, part of the thing that I've, that I think a lot of people like about the NFL is that every week is the Super Bowl for a lot of teams. Like, you know, players are at their peak. People are at their best. You see the best of human athletes on an NFL field week to week. Um, and, you know, the endurance of an NFL season is also something that I think is appealing. This year, you didn't really see that. Um, you saw people making the best of it. And there are a lot of people who like their football no matter what, but I don't think that we saw the best in football athleticism this year, this season. And I think that could have, you know, in a, the Denver game case in point, but I think that could have been made better if the NFL had put, had built some more flexibility into the season. Right, give a yeah. buffer week or something like that. Yeah, exactly, like, yeah, another bye week or um, or a buffer week or you know, just figuring out some way, but it's this idea that the trains have got to run on time. And I think honestly, that's emblematic of so many of our failures as a society when it came to dealing with the coronavirus was our inability to think creatively when we're on our feet. One of the things uh, that I wondered uh, from a standpoint of the NFL um, is fans and stands. And I have to tell you, and I've told this story on the podcast before, this was a really weird year for my social media. 
you know, when I tweet out, wear a mask, I lose a hundred followers. Um, <laughs> but one time I was at the, uh, the Jets Broncos game and I looked around the building and I had been to a handful of base baseball games and I looked around the building and I was like, this place is massive. You could easily get five to 8,000 people in the New Jersey Meadowlands. And I was just using that as the example. Um, and that doesn't mean I want 30,000 people in Texas or a sold out crowd in Miami, but 10,000 people in the Meadowlands, I think you could do it very safely. And people would have their own sections. I mean, there's that, there's that much space. And I got called a conservative nut. And I, got, I, I mean, I couldn't win. If I said anything about COVID, I could not win. What about the idea that there were some, you know, teams that really could have benefited by just having some people. And one thing that was a massive turnoff for me was the fake crowd sound, the fake anything I, I didn't like. And I just wondered what your thought of was, like, were you a big believer that, you know, New England did the right thing, that not a person saw a New England Patriot game or a Jets or a Giants or an Eagles game? Like, what was your thought about that? Were you on the fence? Could you see a little wiggle room as far as fans? Well, the way I look at it is community health. And it's to me, not so much a matter of how many fans it's when, and what's the community spread. So the way I look at it and, and, you know, um, the, Erica Vanstone, who's president of women's flat track derby association was kind of tasked early on here. You have a recreational league roller derby is played by 40,000 women all over the country. And you, and you. <laughs> Yeah, that's true. That's okay. Not, Full disclosure. Carry the lead here. <laughs> I'm sorry. I played roller derby for seven years. So obviously it's a sport that I love. And I'm, you know, I'm not, I'm not completely neutral in the fact that women should be playing roller derby all the time. Um, but <laughs> so, so she was like, well, how are we going to make it safe for our, for our players to come back? You know, somewhere in New York. And at that time that she was putting this together, New York was a mess and she couldn't imagine having, you know, Gotham girls go back and play. Um, as opposed to LA or as opposed to a rural Iowa league where there wasn't a lot of spread or something. And so, to you know, the way she thought about it was, you know, and the way they have a lot, there are a lot of women who are working public health who play roller derby and they kind of all got together on a couple of Zooms and put their heads together and came up with this kind of formula that you could plug a couple of numbers into. And to me, like this would have been really great to have out into the wild because it would have helped understand the idea of fans in the stands from a point of view of what is the relative health risk for doing something because there you know there there is a relative health risk I, I just thought it was ridiculous I saw a um I, I was it Jeffrey Miller or somebody in the NFL front office who was like we haven't had any COVID cases linked back to the stands of an NFL oh, game please <laughs> <laughs> Like, of course, joking? yeah, I, I haven't had any, you know, linked back to, you know, the, the, the crosswalk on, you know, 49th right. street, you know, fifth Avenue either, but the, but that's not the point is that you can't, you know, you know, you can't place where you got it. You're not going to be able to, it, it doesn't tell you, it's not like happening now. I'm, you know, I'm infecting you now. You don't get a little alert on your phone. So this idea that somehow they could, you know, by virtue of, of a lack of, of disproof, say that they had a safe season was ridiculous. So to me, it's about, it. I think there are probably times when you could have had, you know, I don't know if I would say 10,000 at any point, but maybe 5,000 or something like that, or you have families or you figure out a way to do it, pods, whatever. 
Yeah, um, and I, I thought the atmosphere when you saw, I think Kansas City was a good example, except when they booed the the, the national anthem. Uh, but just having just a handful of people, it makes a major difference. Well, just, I, it, I do it just agree feels with you different. The, the whole building feels different. I, I agree with you that the fake noise and the fake crowd noise that, you know, like, like how loud are you getting for that touchdown or how much are you booing that call or whatever it was. And it's all fake. It's all some guy in a sound studio deciding, you know, what kind of volume to give the crowd and have how, what to have them say. I thought that was, I thought that was really, I think, honestly, I think that's part of the reason that some people were turned off by watching football this year. And I know that the, uh, the ratings were down, not down so much that you need to, you know, worry about the future of football, but certainly down. And I think part of the reason was fans knew that they were being fooled. You know, it wasn't a normal year. There weren't fans in the stands. Um, and to pretend that everything was, you know, hunky-dory in this particular year, I think, you know, a lot of fans just didn't want to have, you know, you can't escape from COVID by going to watch a football game and hearing fake crowd noise. It's just, the, I think the cognitive dissonance is not, it's not an escape in the way that it's been in the past. You can't just lose yourself in a football game in the same way. More with Jane McManus on the whole state of sports dealing with COVID-19 as we enter 2021. We've also reached the playoffs in the National Football League. What are the latest odds? Well, let's check with Bavada Sportsbook's head odds maker, Patrick Morrow. And Patrick, Happy New Year, man. Does the year feel any different? 2021. Kind of looks a lot like 2020 so far, but uh, I'm going to try and be optimistic. The news coming down yesterday that the Cleveland Browns coach and five players uh, tested positive because of co uh, with COVID-19. Here's the question. Um, they have they can't practice. This is a playoff game they're getting ready for, and it's a big money game. I have to ask you, what happens at Bovada? But secondly, doesn't this game need to be postponed? Yes. So uh, when this was announced, uh, the Steelers were four and a half uh, point favorites at home, uh, immediately moved to six. Uh, a lot of uncertainty in this game. It's and. I, I mean, as we've seen with uh, the Ravens earlier in the season, everything else, I mean, this stuff can continue to trickle out. Uh, what if this extends to the players? I mean, they're, they're clearly, they're, there is massive disruption here. And this is, you know, interesting bookmaking uh, exercise for us at Bovada, because often we are tasked with the job of trying to uh, sort out, trying to quantify uh, player impact or missing players. Uh, there's been this idea that uh, an all-star quarterback, for example, is worth uh, anywhere from between maybe six or even nine points to the point spread. But what is preparation worth? Uh, how exactly do we quantify digitally going through drills? Um, and it, you know, it's it's clearly impactful. Uh, and what the marketplace has told us so far, what our sharp betters have told us uh, in the early days, is that you know clearly this has affected uh, the Browns' chances of winning this game uh, by at least a few percentage points. Uh, right now, about three percentage points looking at that money line right now so it's 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 you know this was the nfl's worst uh, nightmare so far that a playoff game an elimination game a money game as you put it is now potentially in doubt uh, when it came to the super bowl the nfl has talked about being pretty open about flexibility regarding dates uh, you know wanting to ensure that the two teams playing for the ultimate prize will be healthy that all players will be accounted for and the integrity of that matchup will be 
uh, without question. Uh, I don't really know what the NFL does here in this wildcard spot. We, I think we all know what they should do, but uh, as this season progressed and different teams had different rules, different situations, had different front office interpretations, uh, it's really wait and see for us at Bavada. And again, uh, like we have all year, we're dialed into those social media tweets we have the adam schefter and ian rapaport and more all that going directly to our phones the second that they do anything so we'll be ready but again uh, good opportunity for sharps that we're able to quickly pounce on the steelers at four and a half assuming that game does take place it's it's a fluid story obviously if you're listening to this and there's been a change in the story well we're not posting daily podcasts we're posting weekly podcasts and uh we're doing the best we can but the reality of it is is it just seems like for the playoffs, more uh, safeguards should be in place, and you should give the the Browns a fighting chance. And I, I don't know that that's happening. I, you, you went into bubbles for the baseball playoffs. You went into bubbles for the hockey and the basketball playoffs, and these they're just you know it's out there. And to punish the Browns for getting COVID, um, that sounds crazy. You know there are plenty of people who are taking this very seriously wearing masks being safe and they go to an atm and they get COVID. you know what i mean like you, n- you never know how this can happen i get tested regularly and i don't go anywhere but you know what i do i i, I go to the drugstore i you know you do occasional things and you never know yeah and i think that's a great point about you really don't want to blame anybody and even outside of sports uh I've been really cautious about uh, being judgmental about where these cases are coming from, how they occur, because it's not necessarily a, a you know an irresponsible, responsible red state, blue state. This is a highly infectious thing. This is happening you know, in record numbers in a place like California, where they are taking this very seriously. They booted out the San Francisco 49ers. They've stopped uh, having a lot of sports. They've uh, done lockdowns. And this is a very difficult thing to stop, especially if you're allowing people to have uh, any semblance of freedom over the holidays or just in their day-to-day lives. So uh, I would, I, I think uh, the fans would certainly appreciate a lot more compassion there. If you're a Cleveland Browns fan, but if you're a fan of uh, just good sports being played at the highest level, you would want to see the Cleveland Browns there with the proper week of prep, with the, all their players there playing. This is this is the team that got beat up uh, just due to the rigors of a 17-week season. This is you know an invisible pathogen just infecting the competitive balance, which you know we kind of held our nose during the regular season, and uh, you know we let the Saints Broncos situation happen. Uh, the Ravens got all the accommodations in the world, and uh, it really is tough for a franchise like the Browns to be faced with this going into Sunday. Uh, hopefully their digital walkthroughs are enough. Hopefully there's no other cases. And uh, But even, you know, we're already conceding that they have been impacted in a way that has moved the line, has moved the expectation, has given the Steelers a competitive edge in that game for Sunday. All right, let's take a look at the rest of the games. Uh, there are five other games in this super wild card weekend. Uh, and let's stay in the AFC. We're not going to do any more on Brown Steelers, but we will look at Colts Bills, and that's at Orchard Park. I thought the line was bigger than I I would have thought for a playoff game. Yeah, so we have the line uh, currently. Uh, the Bills are seven point home favorites. Really great story. Uh, I grew up in Toronto, just a stone's throw from the Ralph, and uh, definitely took in 
uh, more than my fair share of Bills games growing up. Uh, tickets were a lot cheaper than they are for some of these playoff games, but they're also uh, very scarce uh, from what I've been able to see and come with a lot of uh, di differing restrictions to get it. But I, I think Bills faithful got to be really excited. I think uh, it was pretty fun uh, watching them uh, really hit the exclamation point on their season last week by eliminating the Miami Dolphins, just absolutely taking them to the woodshed. Uh, Currently, uh, about 65% of all betting handle are on the Buffalo Bills in that spot. And I, I mean, they look great. And not only do they look great, they look consistently great. They've been one of the uh, stronger teams from start to finish of the second half of the season. Uh, Colts have been you know, all right. I, I still think have a sour taste in my mouth from how much we lost uh, in that Colts-Steelers game two weeks ago, giving up that massive lead that they did. Uh, yeah, I think this is the Bills game in this spot. Uh, I think it'll be really tough for the Colts to keep it close. Phillip Rivers, you know, he's had a nice little season. He's still not mobile in that pocket. He's still not dynamic enough. I think the Bills just put more points up on him. All right. Uh, the other AFC game, the Ravens and the Titans. This is the rematch from last year. And, you know, to tell you the truth, uh, the Ravens aren't this. They, they looked, you know, they looked guaranteed to be a Super Bowl team last year. They don't look like that this year, but yet they're still talented and they need to be taken seriously as does Tennessee. Yeah, really interesting matchup uh, year over year. The over-under is uh, much higher in this one uh, than it was in their AFC matchup last year. We're looking at an over-under of 55 right now, uh, which is the highest actually of Wild Card Weekend. Uh, really does speak to the fact that the Titans can score, they can score in bunches. They don't really play a lot of defense, which uh, may help uh, the Ravens out a little bit this year as the Titans defense was certainly much better uh, in last year's playoff run. Uh, we currently have the line as the Ravens are three point road favorites at Tennessee. Again, kind of important to note that uh, home field advantage, not quite worth what it was in previous years as uh, we're only letting in a handful of fans into some of these games. So. There's not a lot of yelling and booing and cheering that could be impacting the referees. Uh, I know I know a professional referee would say they are not impacted, but uh, you know, we do take that into account. So uh, if this was a normal year, the Ravens would probably still be slight road, road favorites in this spot, but I think it would definitely be below three points. You're talking about a one, maybe two point favorite off that key number of three. As it currently stands at Bovada, the spread money is about 50-50, but on the money line itself, we're seeing about 60% of all bets on the Tennessee Titans. And that's just the AFC. There's the NFC playoffs, three games there, the national championship between uh, Alabama and Ohio State. Check out the Bovada website for all the latest odds. That's Patrick Morrow, the head odds maker at Bovada. Now back to Jane McManus here on Sports with Friends. See, this is how I knew we'd go off on tangents because I, I'm going to find myself uh, defending uh, the NFL. If you look at the pattern, the 2016 decline in ratings matches the 2020 in the sense that uh, an election year and the, the growth of, uh, you know, the news networks and all the, you know, the rhetoric and all, and all that, that stuff actually hurts the NFL and it hurt them in 2016 a great a greater deal uh than 2020 and i'm not saying it, you're you're wrong by any stretch because the fake crowd sound just drove me bananas and in baseball it was in the stadium not just on the tv right, so like right. you were sitting there and i put my headphones on and i listened to music i i, I was like this is unnerving because it, it was like somebody 
left a microphone on and just was playing their video games and said, oh, did I leave this on? Like, like I didn't mean to put this there. It was so awkward. And it, it, in, in my sense, it was funny how we all said, and this was something you brought up on the time you were on, you know, back in March, about how we're dying for sports. We're going to just crave sports that when sports come back, we're going to embrace it with open arms. And we didn't do that at all. Right, right, right. We didn't, we didn't come back at all. And this is the tangent that I wanted to, to go for. Are you surprised that with the majority of people being stuck at home, that more people weren't watching the NBA finals, the Stanley Cup finals, the NFL, the college, all that, the baseball ratings were down everywhere. Well, yes, yes, I guess I was surprised that ratings didn't come back more, but I also was surprised that um, that leagues didn't take more care in some ways also. I mean, there were definitely leagues that did the right thing, but I think when you talk about baseball, when you talk about certainly college sports, like some of the tennis and, you know, you're you, uh, to me, like, especially with college football, do you want to watch people smoke for two hours? Does that make you feel good when you know that somebody's behaving in a way that could be not healthy and not smart? And I think that actually was part of it. And I think the crowd noise kind of plays into that too, is that, is that if you're not watching people do something that you are feel like the time is right for to, I mean, I kind of feel like, you know, President Trump got on the phone in April and talked to all the league commissioners and was like, you got to get back and play. You got to get back July and play. July 4th. He wanted July 4th. Exactly. He wanted fans in the stands for football, all of this stuff. And it just seemed to me like, like those commissioners folded like cheap suits and were just like, okay, we'll do it. As opposed to kind of, you know, and then, and then you have them all calling Dr. Fauci to find out how they individually can come back when we've got a pandemic going on and there are people dying in nursing homes, you know, by the dozens. And I just, you know, and to me, so all of this, I, I feel like there was a lot of misplaced effort and energy going into how are we getting sports back when there, we have a lot, we had a lot of other and have a lot of other still, particularly right now issues affecting us as a culture and as a society. And then, you know, the greatest human good right now is not getting a bowl game off the rails. You know, I mean, it's well, just- and, 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 and we'll, we'll get to college. I, I, I figure, I feel like once we're going to college, we can never go yeah. back. Yeah, exactly. The, the, the one thing I, I the, the, my favorite part of the, the, the comeback of sports was when Gary Bettman was rumored to be going to Columbus, Ohio and Vegas, and the rumors were Pittsburgh, Columbus, or Vegas. Those were the rumored for their bubbles. And Gary Bettman said a big F you to the country and just said, you can't be trusted. We're going to Edmonton and Toronto. Screw yeah. you all. Yeah, and exactly. we're not coming back. And I said, bravo to that. To that. <laughs> and I, the NHL took great lengths. Like, I love that the NHL leased out a restaurant in downtown Toronto that was in their bubble. Mm -hmm. That the only people that could go in there were in that their bubble. And that must have cost them a small fortune. And that was so players could walk out of your hotel into downtown Toronto and go into a restaurant and just be a person for one day, you know, during your two month stay, you know, for, for, for the playoffs. And, you know, I, I gave the NHL the, 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 the win in that I thought the visuals of the NHL looked like regular hockey looked like the NHL and those uh, custom made tarps that they put over the stands just look like they belong. Like they looked like 
the outdoor games or they they looked strange but it will it didn't look wrong whereas the nba and this is to no fault of theirs they played what looked like a gym like it yeah. looked like a gym. it didn't look like an arena and it didn't look like it was real and you know to their credit the nba quality of the competition was better which proves that it's not minutes that these players play too many it's the travel that wears on those guys and that's you know that's a whole separate issue altogether but I thought those two sports you know that was an A and an A you know and an A minus you know just because from the basketball standpoint I thought I just thought the visuals of basketball looked weird and then there was the Lou Williams story which is my favorite story of the whole pandemic when he gets permission to leave the bubble to go to a family funeral and then goes to a strip club before he comes back and I just thought that was brilliant. Well, it's certainly very human. <laughs> I mean, I mean, after a while, you just got to feel like, you know what, I'm, I'm out. I might as well. <laughs> I loved it. I, I mean, absolutely we'll loved buffet. it. I mean, the buffet is. I hear the buffet is very good. Well, but the um, best part of that was a week later, the Miami Marlins go to that same club in Atlanta, and no one knows they're there. Well, to get back, just because I don't, I, I mean, I, I could, I could go on and on about strip clubs in Atlanta, but, um, oh, but I'll <laughs> could we? I'll That's save a it separate. All, all right, right, coming up on episode two ninety five, <laughs> you're coming back. Let me go back to what you said about the NBA because I, I, I tend to, I, I hear what you're saying about that, but like I just feel, you know, I grew up playing basketball also. That was my big sport, and so I kind of like, I kind of like that gym feel with the mm -hmm. sneakers you know, with the, the, the squeak of the sneakers on the, on the hardwood, because to me, that just takes me back to every gym I've ever played basketball in. And it, there's something about it that kind of is like, you know, it's like a bedtime story. It's very comforting. It feels like a, you know, home almost. So I watched most of it and I liked the competition. You had the Denver Nuggets made a run and the Miami Heat made a run. And in, in regular times, we're traveling to all these arenas. They probably don't make those runs. Right. But, and that's, yeah. I mean, I think, you know, you talk about, you talk about level of competition as well. They're not, they're not having to deal with, is there an outbreak on the team, but we're playing anyway, or did the, did they catch everybody on the, on our opponent's team who has been tested positive? I mean, you had crazy things like, you know, like a positive test right before a game where a player has to leave the field yeah. in the NFL. I mean, to me, that's got to be, that's got to wear on players, you know, especially if you're going home to your house, you know, like these NFL players were in the NBA. I know it is hard to be in a bubble. I, I, you know, I, I believe that to be a, a real fact that it is emotionally difficult to be in a bubble. However, it is safer to be in a bubble. I mean, that oh, is yeah. absolutely something that these teams proved and that these leagues have proven. So I kind of feel like maybe, you know, the NBA being able to play better is actually because they can focus on the game and they're not focusing on, you know, like all of the, the bullshit around the game that they have to go through. Sure. Um, one quick thought on baseball, um, just to take you back. I was against uh, the baseball season. I thought it was hodgepodge. Uh, I didn't. I didn't want it because I think they have a bigger issue, which is their collective bargaining agreement, which is at the uh, is up at the end of the year. And I would have said, uh, lock themselves in a room, quarantine for 12 days, 14 days, whatever it is, and don't come out until you have labor peace. Because if you thought people were mad when baseball wasn't being played in July, imagine the venom when we get a vaccine and we're back with full stadiums and baseball shuts down because of a labor stoppage you think there's going to be vitriol then um my whole point 
to that was you had these owners. I mean, the Cubs owner and the Cardinals owner, just, I'm not trying to pick on those two teams, but they were so visible and the beginning talking about how they were hemorrhaging money. And I worked for baseball for 10 years. All you have to do is look at their books for 2019, 2018, 2017, 2016, 2015. They have, they were making gobs of money. They had slush funds that could have paid the players to for 162 games easily. And I just didn't like the hodgepodge nature of it. Um, I didn't like that. It was not in a bubble. I just didn't think there was a need for it. And I would rather them put their house in order and come back in April of 21 with fans in stands and just do it right. Um, that was just my stance on, on baseball, but it was more about baseball, less about the pandemic, but you could have chalked the season and blamed it on the pandemic. And I don't think anybody looks twice about it. I mean, I think baseball should have done a bubble. I mean, I think that would have been, been better. And months on end though, you know, maybe you don't do, maybe you do it like, like a national women's soccer league where you, you put a more discreet period of time on it. This is the thing, the inflexibility that I'm talking about when it came to the NFL, like there are creative ways to get around some of these things and try to do it so that it's just a little bit safer. That's fine. I, I was, I'm like you, I didn't think that baseball, um, I didn't think they would get all the way through the season. I really didn't. And, and, it, and the only reason that they get through the season is because they fudge, they fudge their standards. And that's how these leagues are doing it is that instead of being like, well, we've got to have at least seven days. It's like, Oh, maybe, maybe five days is okay. And then, well, it's tomorrow and Hey, no positive tests today games on, you know? So, I mean, this is kind of the way that it went and it really was about taking the health standards and, and changing them up. And then, you know, in a way that you could save face, but weren't actually the same. You didn't have the same standards at the end of the season as you did at the beginning for most of these places. No. And the example is Justin Turner. And we just did a podcast on the film because they didn't put it, you know, in the film because Dodger fans are buying that film. They don't want to see Justin Turner, you know, <laughs> testing positive, but you know, they could have gotten him off the field. It would have caused a scene, but they could have gotten him off the field. There's 10 cops and 25 MLB security people on that field. If they wanted to get him off the field, they could have, they just didn't want to cause the scene and have, you know, it's the same thing. It's the cover up. It's the, it's the, we have to put the image together and, you know, Justin Turner taking that photo next to Dave Roberts, who's a, a, a cancer survivor. I was outraged. I thought that was one of the most selfish acts and people are like, well, you only get one chance to win a world series. I go, win a world series in normal time and i'll be the first guy at the parade uh, okay so this is the thing is the one thing that sports could have done for the rest of us is set a visual example of how to behave right. and of, of of what we should expect from the people around us and they declined they declined to do that yeah. they tried maybe a little bit when it was convenient but when it really mattered no thanks um but getting back to your point about baseball owners these teams, the, owning, owning a professional sports league is one of the best things that you can do for your financial bottom line in, in the whole, you know, ever, right? Like that, these, these teams, a lot of them mint money and they're very lucrative. And this idea that we've been incredibly lucrative for the last, you know, 25 years, but because we've had two months where we haven't made as much money somehow, you know, please, you know, alms for the poor is um, it's out, it's outrageous. The Lakers getting a small business loan from the government was hilarious. It's not hilarious. It's, it, it's wrong. It's, it's that sarcasm. Yeah. But that's my, my, that's my point is like, it's, you know, this idea of, of, 
you know, sports teams could have really gotten together and said, we're all in this together. If we're going to play, we're going to do it in a way that's responsible, but it's really, you know, it just, I think it proved the, that economics, that economics rule sports now. And, you know, a lot of people are totally fine with that, but just having it laid so bare is, um, you know, I think in a pandemic, it's, uh, again, not where our focus should be. If we are, are collectively as a society going to be paving the way so that sports can come back, I think that it's the the other side of that is what are you doing for us? What are you doing to help? You know, and the NBA did some facilitating with making testing available for parts of the community in Florida when they were in the bubble, which I thought was terrific and was, was creative and, you know, shows what, what are your values? Are you living your values as a league? And I just think a lot of these leagues just showed their values weren't things like team teamwork and leadership and community and overcoming adversity. They were money, 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 and me first. And, you know, and I mean, it's, you have to just live with it, but it, I don't know if you have to be comfortable with it. And to their credit, and I, I didn't say this when we were talking about it, but the, the Orlando bubble for the NBA was such a brilliant location. That's not in Orlando. That's miles from anywhere near anything in Orlando to the extent of in one spring training after covering a Braves game in spring, in that bubble in, in Orlando, in Disneyland, I ran out of gas once. <laughs> we thought we were in the parking lot. We're like, we'll just get to civilization. We'll have no problem. We'll just get to the closest gas station. And we ran out of gas in the Disney campus. That place is literally, you're in a bubble. Like you, you that, that's the definition of the word bubble. Yeah, um, you, can, you can get lost for miles on those loops miles. around different parks. <laughs> it, it, I mean, just, people are like, well, the cases are surging in Florida. They're not in Florida. They could be in Greece for all you know. They were not near anything. And it was very, very, very odd. Um, when it came to college sports, it's, well, there are two things. Number one, we don't pay those players and they were being used as guinea pigs and they were sacrificial lambs to just, you know, be put out there. They weren't given a choice. This, this bullshit about what, you know, well, these players had opt-outs, they had scholarships they were trying to protect. And what I hated, I, the way I, I saw the scenario is I wanted the sec to try it. Let the SEC try it. They were like, come hell or high water. It's our, you know, patriotic duty and all this other crap that Ed Orgeron and Nick Saban can all just go shut the hell up. And they wanted to, to, to play. And I was like, let them play. But then the other conferences followed suit. And I follow the ACC because I'm a Syracuse person. And I was insulted when the Duke doctor was talking about, well, you just have to compare the risk getting on the field. It's like getting on, the, you know, risk you always get when you play sports. And I was like, I wanted to punch that guy in the nose. And what I thought was it was so weird because the big 10 and the PAC 12 had said, no, no, we're not going to play. And I was just like, well, follow them. There's a reason why they're doing this. And, and then they caved because of ridiculous the pressure. The money was too good. Uh, so basically have we colleges in this country, which are, which are basically professional sports teams owners and it's incredibly lucrative. So they are as addicted to the money as, you know, Ricketts is in Chicago when he's talking, you know, when he's, when he's pleading poverty after two months of a pandemic. Um, yeah. And, and they, they don't have, and they're, you know, the times did a story about a kid in California who, 
opted out and then mysteriously found that his scholarship had been canceled. And then, oh, they made a mistake once the Times made a call and was looking into it. The Times has also done a story on a, on a player who, who uh, died of COVID, a college player who died of COVID. Uh, I, you know, we just don't know what the long-term implications are from getting COVID. Some of this long hauler stuff is starting to look really scary. Um, and, you know, part of it is the myocarditis. And, you know, you, have, you had a player who collapsed on a court who'd um, been diagnosed with COVID. And, you know, you cannot say it is because of the COVID that he collapsed. But if you see, you know, we're so at the beginning of this thing, at the beginning of these long-term implications that, you know, if you start seeing it happen more and more often, you're gonna feel good about that. I just, again, you're right. These players are not paid in any kind of American currency that allows them the freedom to make choices. And you have, you know, you talk about baseball and how, you know, the back and forth that they had to go through before they could even get on the field because the players association wanted certain things and accommodation and money, et cetera, in order to be able to take the college players didn't have the opportunity to make those arguments. Their arguments were, if you want to be, if you have hope of being a professional in your sport someday, you better go along with this because otherwise you're not going to be seen as a team player. And this argument that the players want to play, well, that's great. I'm, I, you know, I also wanted my daughter to be able to graduate with her friends. That wasn't able to happen this year. And none of these other sports where players want to play were actually took the field at all this year. You know, they were canceled. So we know what the moneymaker is and we know why football, college football was the chosen sport where the players wanting to play suddenly mattered where in other sports it doesn't. And it's because of the dollars. And I mean, you know, I think a lot of, sports writers, a lot of people have watched how college sports over the last 40 years have morphed from a quasi amateur enterprise to just a economic enterprise, purely. It's a, it's a behemoth. It is. The money that's involved is incredible. Nobody's going to give up a dollar. And uh, even in pandemic, they were willing to risk those players who they you know, who the NCAA insists people refer to as student athletes. When students are allowed on, on a campus, they are not allowed on a campus because of a pandemic. And- um, But go to practice. And the coaches were like, this is safer than if we'd sent them home. Except that the, all of the positive tests, which they stopped reporting accurately after a while. I mean, there were, the, the New York Times did a tracker on this. There are hundreds and hundreds of positive, of po positive cases of coronavirus that came out of those, those training rooms and practices on different um, college campuses. Right. And the fact, it, I, these were not a speed bump toward the season after a while. We saw the first couple of outbreaks and everybody just kept going. And this was the year in which that started off this, this, uh, this college football season started off with Scott Atlas, the neuroradiologist who President Trump like to listen to because he was on Fox News saying you didn't have to worry about the coronavirus, then became the person who was insisting that college sports get back to playing. He was the vocal person. And I, right. I, you know, and all of these college coaches were more than happy to listen to the Scott Atlases and the herd immunities, you know, in this, in the world talking about how they had to get back. And I honestly- Alabama, they were having parties and inviting people that were positive. Well, and I, I honestly think that, you know, some of these campuses, if they didn't have a, if they didn't have a policy that was written down, they certainly functionally had a, pol a policy that was seemed to be herd immunity, get everybody sick, and then we'll just go on with the season. And to me, you know, that's a morally bankrupt way at looking at 
a quote unquote amateur sports where, where, where you have a labor force that does not get paid and does not have any power. It's, it, it's fascinating. And it's some of the stuff that was being said uh, along the lines of uh, the, the, you know, these, the, the coaches that were speaking for it. I mean, Jim Beheim, a guy who, you know, I covered my whole life. I was 18 when I started covering Jim Beheim and he said, young people don't die from this. Um, yeah. Well, you know, what's going to happen is that there are people follow you, people listen to you. It's crazy. And we're going to get down the road with this and there are going to be, you know, there's going to be more that comes out. I hope not, but I have a feeling and the indications are if you're, if, you know, if you're watching some of the, there's a great podcast called This Week in Virology and every Sunday they come out with a, with a uh, podcast with Daniel Griffin, who's a New York City clinician who also has a background in epidemiology. And he talks about, you know, some of these long-term problems that are coming out now. And, and some of these things are now becoming a little bit clearer, but we could get 10 years or five years or a, a year down the road. And some, you know, the myocarditis thing turns out to be something or there's something else. Yeah, the and pitcher on the Red Sox, Eduardo Rodriguez, he had oh, my, right. yeah. Exactly. And all, all the coaches, they're all going to say things like, how could we have possibly known? And the thing is, yes, you could have possibly known. There was somebody who, who the reason that, the, that you had the pack you know, and, and the big 10 come, come out and say they weren't playing is because they heard a specialist talk about the potential for myocarditis. And that's why the they guy from Michigan, right. The guy right. from Michigan who, whom was misquoted, they originally said 30%, but it was actually 15%. So, and all the, the people were like, Oh, he's a quack. He doesn't know what he's talking about. I'm like, no, no, no. He meant 15. It, it, it was, it was a mistake. But the fact is, is that it was going on. How do we spin this now for 2021 um you know the nfl is going to have their super bowl and i'm i i, I like they're going to be fans in the stands i mean <laughs> there will be uh it's not a question of 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 if it's it's when um you know baseball I, what i've heard about baseball is that uh they want to start with fans and if they can't start in april they'll start in june and play 100 games not 162 but they want fans in the stands because they can't the business model doesn't work. And Rob Manfred, you know, who hates me anyway, he just literally came out and on the off day of the World Series comes out and talks about the $8 billion that they've lost. And I thought that was hilarious because that's your World Series coverage. Why, why are you telling them how much money you're losing? Just play the games and celebrate your games. Um, so baseball probably starts late basketball is going on and hockey's starting soon. And I love what hockey's doing because they're literally only playing in your divisions. And that's great. I'm a devil's fan. I don't want to play anybody, but the Rangers and the Islanders and the Flyers. Anyway, I don't want to see Columbus and Nashville. I don't care about those teams. Just play those. And I told Gary Bettman and I, I said this, I said this flat out and I said it on Twitter, you know, the devil's lost on March 10th uh, to the Pittsburgh Penguins. And that cost them a trip to the bubble. Yeah. And that's why I won't give them a hundred percent because my goddamn team lost by two points to not be in the bubble. And I thought that was absolute garbage mm -hmm. and they played a practice and, you know, give the devil's credit. They put it online and they're playing a practice. And I forgot what the logo looked like. Like they haven't played since March <laughs> and it was weird because all their players are in Europe and they're all over the planet. And I, I didn't understand any of it. Um, how do you see 2021 shaking out? Do you just think that, you know, right now, if, you know, if you look, we're at an all time bad 
stint right now. And, you know, my kids don't think there's going to be school, you know, like they don't know, know what's going on with, with online school versus in-person school and, you know, the impact of, of the holidays and all the, the 1 million people that traveled all throughout the time. Like, how do we move past this? Or is literally, we need to have good news and then we can worry about sports or is sports going to be like, screw it. We're going anyway. Well, so I, my, my stance on this hasn't changed since we spoke in March. I, I, I really do feel like you have to make sure that, that, and that we have enough right with our society at large before sports come into the picture. No, I am alone on that limb. <laughs> so I Nobody seems to support your theories. <laughs> right, right. Like I have very little uh, institutional support within sports leagues for my, for my stance on that. Um, and I've come to terms with that. So that, that said, um, we also have a variant which has taken over in Southeast England and has now been found in, in at least three yeah. states as of, as of our conversation. So I, you know, like, and if you're listening to this in the future, by the way, let me know how the flying car is continuing. <laughs> and so I think we need to see what's going to happen with that variant. It's, it's not a time when you want a lot of people in stands. I mean, we did a poll at Marist um, and out of sports fans responding 50 or 49% said there should not be fans at the Super Bowl. And this, this was done in, I want to say November. So, so these are fans saying this, sports fans. But the leagues are making this decision. But not Northeast fans. It was a nationwide poll. Nationwide poll. So, um, yeah. So just like the, it was, it, we piggybacked on one of the uh, political polls that they did late in the year. Sure. So, you know, so we we have fans who are who are clearly understanding what the risk of this thing is. Uh, I think it's gonna, you know, we're gonna, it's gonna take the vaccine and acceptance of the vaccine. So to me, if you are a sports league, and I know you want to make that cash grab, it is very important. But I think what you should do first is how about a PSA on taking the vaccine? How about helping your, you know, funding your local public health department's efforts to create a list and a system for vaccinating the system, the uh, the citizens. Patrick Mahomes to do it, or you know, one of these guys. Yeah, sure. Like, you know, I I always say this. What if the leagues had gotten together back in March and said, you know, we're in this together, we're all masked up, or whatever it is, yeah. you know, some sort of PSA like that, that to make to lend a community spirit. Well, if you want fans in the stands and you want and you want to do it safely, which you know leagues have shown they're fairly neutral on, but let's say let's say people wanted to do it safely, um, then how about a nice vaccine initiative that comes out and a mask initiative that comes out of your office and your league office? Um, helping to support some of these community health uh, efforts, which are flailing at the moment we see as this uh, vaccine rollout gets started so slowly. So that's, that's to me, you know, Beavers, you know, we, we talk a lot in sports about community and responsibility and, and leadership and all of this other stuff and how sports are preparation for life. Well, the life part is happening right now. So if they could somehow get on the bandwagon and help out, I would be, I would feel a lot better about watching games. It, it, it's wild. It, it really is wild. It's only time will tell. And it, you know, you, you just, you just don't know. I mean, that, that's one of the, the weird things that are happening. I do think there's karma though, to my Bayheim comment, Syracuse hasn't played in two and a half weeks. So just, <laughs> and none of their guys are getting are testing positive. It's all their opponents. And I think that makes me laugh. Well, um, let's, you know, I'm, I am for, I am for, for public safety and player safety, even in the face of, of what would could be very ironic uh, comeuppance. Right. right. Uh, so, so, yeah. There's, there's been like, all kinds of irony. It, it's been it's been it's been wild. Um, tell me about 
your podcast. Tell me about this pod. And I'm so sorry that I knew we were going to get on 700 tangents, but <laughs> I did want to ask it earlier. But tell me about uh, this podcast, uh, Ladies Room, um, something you're doing with Deadspin. And I, I, just the idea of it uh, sounds fascinating. Tell me. Well, so I've long admired Julie DeCaro, my co-host, who is a stalwart in Chicago sports, the Chicago sports radio scene for for decades. And um, she was on the score, right? Yep, that's right. Yeah. And she, she also she did the more than mean um, uh, PSA with Sarah Spain, who was my former co-host uh, of yes. the Trifecta, which which was also yes, Kate- the ESPN and- radio show. That's right. So since leaving ESPN and what I loved about the trifecta was um, we really, we talked about, we quote unquote played the hits as we were instructed to do, but we also, we had great, like such program director speak. I know it is (laughs) literally that's how, you know, it was in a radio show. Um, (laughs) But, uh, but we also, we, we had great chemistry and we really had a, you know, we had a strong friendship underneath it all. And we were able to talk about sports and life and everything else. And it was, it was a lot of fun. And um, I, and I was just, I thought, Ooh, I'd really like to, to see, you know, um, to work with Julie DeCaro and see where that goes. So we, so far we've interviewed, um, had on our podcast, Jamel Hill and Martina Navratilova, Andrea Kramer and Katie Nida, who was the first woman to score points in a division one football game. Um, and we've had the best time and it's been so fun. And I've just really enjoyed, um, talking to her about all things sports and beyond. So feel free to go check out Apple Podcasts or Spotify or wherever you. If get you can your hear this show, you can hear that the, the the ladies room. Yes, exactly. So check it out. But thank you for letting me talk about it, Seth. That's very nice. No, I think it's very cool, and I've been a fan of Julie's. I told you that off the air, and I I just think that uh, I just like the different perspectives, and you know one of these days we, I want to have you on and just talk about your career. <laughs> and, <laughs> and, you know, it, it's just, it's just so wild that um, I have found that there are very few consistent voices. Uh, and that's the compliment I can pay to you. It's just that you've been consistent. You're not alarmist. Uh, I don't consider you alarmist. I don't consider you to be uh, over the top. You know, everybody has to be locked indoors and, and, and don't get outside. Um, I do think that there's some happy medium, that there can be some, you know, ways of life returning. And I, I, I want life to return. I just want it to be done safely, and if it can be done safely. And I, I think you want the same things. And I, I just have noticed that I remember you were the voice of reason in March because I didn't know what the hell to do. And it was so random because I remember seeing something that you had said or listening to something you had broadcasted. And I said, I have to get you on Sports with Friends. And then when the the end of the year came and I thought about it and I was like, well, wait a minute, let's just see where we're at and see what we've done. And I'm really, really appreciative that you can do this. And again, let's not do a COVID podcast. Let's have you on (laughs) and talk about roller derby, for God's sakes. Oh, I'd love to talk about roller derby someday. Someday, you make like, Julie do roller derby. Is that is that how? I is that the deal you said? Like by episode six, we're doing a roller derby show. I don't know how she feels about skates. I, you know, she's she is definitely like an athlete, uh, and comes from that. You know, just like like a lot of people in sports, like who who end up doing this for a living. You know, you come to it from a place of playing and loving sports and not being quite good enough to like make the WNBA. <laughs> But still really caring about it. Well, I'll tell you the roller derby remembrance that I had is I had you on a radio show. It was either in New York or it was in the National when I was doing ESPN radio. 
and you came on and you started talking about it. And I had asked you off air. I remember this. Can I ask you anything? And I, I, because one of my favorite moments in uh, this podcast is, and I'll find the episode number. Hold on. We had uh, Adeline Gray. Adeline Gray was a a wrestler. She still is. Uh, She's an Olympic wrestler. So not like WWE wrestling, like Olympic wrestling. And I asked her and I took it from a conversation that I had had with you is, could I ask anything? And she said, ask anything. And I said, okay. And the question I asked her was, what happens when you're all psyched up, you get into the ring and you finally see your opponent and she reeks. (laughs) Just smells so gross. And you don't want to touch her, let alone wrestle her. And I remember I had asked you and I said, how many cheap shots do you do? Like, you're <laughs> such a nice person. This is what I asked you on ESPN. I said, I said, I can't imagine you doing uh, roller derby, not because I don't think you're athletic. It's I can't imagine you doing a cheap shot. I can't imagine you like elbowing somebody in the gut to just try to push somebody out of the lane and what you were doing. I just couldn't see your game face. Mm hmm. I'm sure that I, I, you were game, you were totally game. And that was live. That wasn't a podcast. (laughs) Well, the fact of the matter is that I, I I was basically the Bill Lambeer of my roller derby team. God, I, I, yeah. I mean, I know it's, it, I don't mean to break your heart or anything, Seth, but uh, I was actually quite a bruiser and I had a, I had a, a, I had a well-deserved reputation for, I'll never forget. We used to have this day where you would, uh, we'd get all the new members out and, um, and it was kind of like, you know, it was kind of like a trial by fire, right? So they had to, they had to skate around and you just tried to knock them down, which is, you know, just fish in a barrel. These people, they're barely, barely able to maintain their, their balance on skates and they're just getting started. And I loved nothing more than to just see you, if you're going to play roller derby, you got to be able to take a hit and not be phased by it. And there are people who can do that. And there are people who can't. And so I kind of took it upon myself to see. So how are you doing? Like, are you, which category do you fall into? And I'll never forget one time I was in a bout and I just, I took this girl out with a hip check, sent her flying. And, and the angle was such that I then had to step over her and the look in her eyes, as I said, it made me so happy, so happy. <laughs> and that's why I love roller derby right there. What was the last time you were on skates? 2014. I had a, I had an injury. I had a... I had to have surgery for an injury and it, it shocking, t- shocking that you got hurt. <laughs> it was my last injury, not my first, but <laughs> miss it to this day. What can I say? How can people find you online? Um, I am, uh, I'm at Jane sports, J A N E S P O R T S, um, on Twitter and in Instagram, but it's a private account. So, you know, I'm going to check your stuff out to make sure you're a real person and not a bot before I accept your, request i understand i i don't understand instagram i i i i don't do it well i don't it doesn't make any <laughs> sense to me and i sound like an old man when i do it but i'm a tech person i'm a nerd i do a superhero podcast and i can't i can't figure out instagram i can understand twitter uh i get twitter and I, I told you my my thing with twitter in 2020 was if i said wear a mask people got angry if i said put fans in the goddamn Meadowlands, people got angry like i couldn't yeah. touch it with a 10-foot pole no. and yeah you know, no. and then i got hacked and that was another story. 
Sure, sure, sure you did. <laughs> uh, Jane McManus uh, is, of course, the uh, director of the Center for Sports Communication at Marist. She's also a writer for Deadspin, and she hosts this podcast called The Ladies' Room with Julie DeCaro, who's going to be on Sports with Friends hopefully soon. And we will talk to her. And I'll say this uh, the way I end the podcast. Uh, if there's anything that, that you heard today that you didn't like or you have an issue with, do me a favor, reach out to Jane directly and leave me the hell out of it. Uh, <laughs> thank you so much, Jane. Uh, continued uh, health and success and happy new year, my friend. And you too, Seth. Thanks for having me on. That's Jane McManus. We will see you next week. We're doing this podcast. No more holidays to use as an excuse. We're putting out episodes all the time. Uh, thanks for listening. Thanks for downloading. We will see you next time. If you want me to stay, I'll be around today to be available for you to see. I'm about to go, and then you'll know for me to stay. I got to be me. You'll never be in doubt. That's what it's all about. You can't take me for granted and smile. Come on. Have been the kind of person 